The Way Out Podcast, Episode 211. My name is Don, and I am in long-term recovery. I have a long history of um, uh, obstacles and trauma, incarceration. I served over 20 years of my life in prison for bank robberies and related to my addiction and mental health issues. I believed that I was a hopeless case, and, and yet here I am. And that's because of the power of recovery. My parents were addicts. I lived in a crazy atmosphere when I was young for, for a while there. Uh, a lot of partying and drugs and lots of good music too. And uh, I started getting high when I was 10 and uh, because I stole some drugs that were laying on the table uh, from some friends of my family. Uh, my parents, um, they, they, they got scared for me after a couple of years because I, I was a complete train wreck almost immediately, you know. Uh, I had a few traumatic experiences, abuse, and I witnessed some violent things when I was young. And uh, so they committed to me to a, committed me to a inpatient drug program at 13, hoping I'd be back in a couple months, but I never went home again. And that's what began my, my experience of being raised in foster homes and the state and all of that, and, and ultimately bank robberies and all the whole lifestyle that comes with addiction and crime. At that point, it was all intellectual, you know. I hadn't dealt with anything. I had just kind of signed on to some some belief systems, you know. I hadn't internalized it. I hadn't really, you know, there was no journey to the heart, you know. It was in my head, but it was not in my heart. When I got out, things had changed a little bit, you know, for my parents. When I when I came up, we didn't, we didn't have a lot. But in that 15 years, my mom and dad did pretty good, you know. And they wound up having a small rental house in Safety Harbor. And they said, Don, you can live there. I get kind of... I get kind of choked up when I, I remember that because they, <clears throat> excuse me, they they knew my past. They loved me so much, and they wanted to give me the best possible chance to succeed. You know, but they didn't know, just like I didn't know, the the level that this thing had a grip on me within. You know, the the um, the walls that I had put up. You know, I would act like everything is okay, and this time I'm going to do it, and I'm just going to push through this, and I'm not going to abuse and I'm gonna get a good job, and I'm gonna get married, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have a successful business, and finally, I'm, I'm uh, have an opportunity. And so they set me up, you know, they set me up with cheap rent in a house. Like, you know, I got out, and the internet was around, and that wasn't around when I went in in 1991, and I got out in 2006, and you know, my dad got me a, a used car, and uh, I had a job within a couple weeks, and I found, and um, you know, I, my dad even got me a, 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 a um, a membership to a safety hour spa, which is, you know, not just blocks from my house. And, you know, I had a maid, man, you know, I was, I got a good start. I was working out. I, I was doing everything just right, but slowly the isolation crept up on me again. And I found myself just, uh, just handicapped socially. You know, I didn't know, I, I, I didn't, I, I couldn't tell anybody at work about my past, you know, because that is some weird stuff, man, you know, yeah. um, what are they going to think if they knew I was a bank robber and I just got out after 15 years? You know, what are they going to think of me? And so I, I, I wound up isolating at home and just, you know, my routine became became just going to work, coming home, getting high. And I would show up at family functions and act like everything was okay, but inside I was I was I was hurting, and I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't I didn't I, I just I didn't understand, and I started really experiencing some extreme self doubt and self-loathing and self-hatred because I saw it starting to slip again. You know, I was smoking weed and, and, and I was saying, well, I'll never do that one drug again, but but eventually I did, you know, and the pain was got so great that I, I, you know, it wasn't great enough to recover because I didn't know about that really. I heard my sponsor's voice in my head saying, 
it's just a feeling it will pass mm. you know and that i don't ever have to use again and that that uh to call me you know and for the first time ever i called somebody when that when, when, when that urge to use hit me and man i didn't use that day i stayed at the homeless shelter and i just i somebody came to pick me up and talked and you know, it was all good that was when things started turning around for me man my life did a complete 180 and i had to put in some work but wow man i learned that i could get through some feelings feel some discomfort and i didn't even have to understand what it was about at that moment i just had to get the space to see it and to believe that i was that i was worth fighting for that i was worth reaching out for help and so i did man i'm grateful i'm grateful for that gift welcome way out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the way out podcast we appreciate your ears our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction the way out podcast does not speak on behalf of nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization the way out podcast partners with all recovery rings and all recovery rings.com where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin that's all recovery rings.com the way out podcast is a proud supporter of transitions daily would you like to join a free anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Every week, we'll be asking for your thoughts on next week's topic. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content listener discretion is advised the way out podcast is on right now i'm charlie and this edition of the way out features a story unlike any other we've told before author speaker person in long-term recovery and reformed serial bank robber don cummins shares his incredible journey to recovery with us with remarkably true humility and candor. For Don, this is a story, ultimately, of coming home. After spending what seems like more than a lifetime lost and unwell in mind, body, and spirit, Don's story is poignant and striking evidence that we can and do recover from seemingly hopeless circumstances and indeed proof positive that no matter who we are and how severe our individual case of addiction and or alcoholism is, we don't ever have to drink 
or use again, provided we are willing to do a little work. So strap yourselves in, way out, casters. You're about to go on one awe-inspiring, heartfelt, and wild ride with one heck of a happy ending, courtesy of our new friend, Don Cummins. So listen up. Don Cummins, thank you so much for joining us here on the Way Out podcast. I can't wait to get into your story because it is a whale of a tale for a variety of reasons, <laughs> which we will get into real soon. But first off the top, Don, you're an author. You're a person in long-term recovery. Why don't you take some time out to introduce yourself to the Way Out podcast audience? Tell us who you are, how long you've been in recovery, and we'll dig into that story of yours. Sure thing. Uh, thanks, Charlie, for having me here. I'm so glad to be on the show. And uh, my name is Don, and I am in long-term recovery. And uh, I, uh, I'm a former, uh, you know, addict, alcoholic, and, and, and still recovering, of course. And I, um, I have a long history of um, uh, obstacles and trauma and uh, incarceration. Um, I served over 20 years of my life in prison for bank robberies and related to my addiction and mental health issues. And uh, I believed that I was a hopeless case, and, and yet here I am. And, um, and that's because of the power of recovery. And uh, uh, so I'm really glad to be here and to share that message that, you know, if I can recover, anybody can. Not only are you a recovering addict, a recovering alcoholic, you're a recovering bank robber. Yeah, I guess you could say that. that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when I, I mean, it's, uh, it's all connected. When I, when I, 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 I pick up one, uh, it, it, it kind of tends to have a domino effect, you know. And so, so this is a way out podcast first, for sure. We've never yeah. had a recovering bank robber on the show. So this is a first. I'm very, uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty honored to have somebody that's got a that that's got that history, man. So so I'm thinking, you know, John Dillinger, those kinds of things. Obviously, was uh, uh, you know, in terms of bank robbing. So we'll get into that later, right? Okay. But sure. first, tell us a little bit about what it was like for you growing up. Where did you grow up? How what was what was growing up like for you? Well, I, um, I, I, I was born in uh, upstate New York, and uh, my, my, my parents um, moved a lot. We moved between New York and Florida, New York and Florida, New York and Florida, you know, quite a few times. And, you know, I, um, my parents uh, uh, stayed together, and I had, a, I had a, a good family in some ways in the way that people think of my family stayed together, and we loved each other. I never doubted that my, my family loved me, but my parents were addicts. And uh, so... When I was young, I was exposed to a lot of things. My, 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 my father was um, uh, a, a great guy, and I looked up to him, and I loved him so much, and I wanted to be like him. Uh, yet at the same time, uh, we lived in a, I lived in a crazy atmosphere when I was young for, for a while there, and uh, a lot of partying and drugs and lots of good music, too. And uh, so, um, you know, when, 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 I, when I, um, I started getting high when I was 10, and uh, because I stole some drugs that were laying on the table uh, from some friends of my family. And um, 
I, um, I, my parents, um, they, they, they got scared for me after a couple of years because I, I was a complete train wreck almost immediately. You know, um, I had a few traumatic experiences, abuse, and I witnessed some violent things when I was young. And, uh, so they committed to me to a, committed me to a inpatient drug program at 13, um, hoping I'd be back in a couple months, but I never went home again. And that's what began my, um, you know, my, my experience of being raised in foster homes and the state and all of that. And, and ultimately, you know, uh, bank robberies and all the whole lifestyle that comes with, with addiction and crime. So um, at 13 years old, you go to inpatient treatment and at 13 years old, are you thinking that, you know, your family turned your back on you or they, you know, they, you know, was that, was that the feeling? Why didn't you return home after that? Well, I, I became a habitual runaway from the program that I went to and I committed crime in order. At first it was in, to get home. I stole a bicycle to get home. And then one time I stole a car to get home. But when I got home, I, I didn't really go home. I went around my friends and, and, and used drugs. You know, I wanted to go home to my actual home where my mom and dad and my brother and my sister lived. But, um, I, I knew that they would they would turn me in and get me back into the program. So it was like I I wanted to go to my hometown and feel like I was home in that way again. I guess and you wanted uh, to be close to home. You'd be want around home, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I get that. As close as I could get to home, you know. So and um, ever since then, it was all about trying to go home on some level. You know, yeah, for yeah. sure. So so you're breaking out of this treatment center over and over and kind of getting hauled back in, right? And the yep. crimes are sort of adding up as a, um, as a, as collateral damage really, right? Um, did you, did you enjoy the thrill of the stealing or any of that? Or was that really just a means to an end? It was mainly a means to an end. You know, there's a certain um, uh, fear and danger, you know, involved in all of that. And um, so, so, um, being an addict, I, I you know, I, I, I like fear and I like danger, you know, but um, I never did anything for, for the thrill and the danger itself. You know, it was always a byproduct of, of I need something I need to, I need to get here. I need, I'm hungry, you know, whatever the situation, you know, may have been. And so. So when you first use, when you first pick up, you said the first time you got high was when you were 10. Was that yes. a memorable experience for you? Was that like this aha moment, this, Shang, this, this Shangri-La moment, or was it not? It what totally was, was. Yes. Yeah, it totally was. I, 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 you know, I was a lightweight, and so I got so high that I, I, you know, I just, I couldn't believe I was as high as I was. And, I, and it was before school. It was before, uh, before sixth grade uh, a class in sixth grade. And, and I walked in there and I just, I, I was just, I was hallucinating and, you know, I just couldn't believe that, you know, and it was fun. I just couldn't, I was amazed that I could be that, uh, far removed from reality, you know, and it was fun and I liked it. And I had started hanging out with some kids that were doing it every day before school and after school and then skipping, you know, then skipping school and sneaking out at night. And so, yeah, it was, um, it was a, it was a huge experience for me. And, and I felt, I felt like I was connected uh, a little bit to other people. Like I had something in common with them and that would totally relate to that a hundred percent growing up. My first treatment experience was 15. And prior to that, you know, that first drunk for me was, magical and it really unlocked all of these things inside of me that 
prior to that, I really wasn't able to unlock. Yeah. And all of the fear and anxiety and all of the things that I was plagued with mm-hmm. were gone. And mm-hmm. I loved everything about it. I loved getting it. I loved doing it. I loved being with the people that did it too and having that, like you said, that common bond that I never had with folks before. It was uh, everything about it I loved. So, so when I went to treatment, I had no, had no interest in you know, getting better or working a program or any of that, right? Like I just found it. it. Was that your experience too in treatment? Was it, was any of it sinking in or was there any part of you that really wanted to uh, get sober? No, not at all. I, I, part of me wanted to, to, to get, get, you know, to, to get sober so I could go home. Mm-hmm. For me, it was all about going home and, mm-hmm. and Maybe I could, I, I wanted to stop using, um, and I saw myself in my mind, you know, playing guitar again and uh, playing baseball, Little League again, and having friends again, and live, going back to school and all of that. I, I really missed that, having a normal life, you know, and I didn't, you know, but when I, whenever I would get out, you know, whenever I would run away, I, 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 would, I would get high immediately and, um, you know. Because all those things, they take a little effort. They take a little work, especially when you know, um, as, as I'm sure you know, when 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 you're trying to trying to recover and you don't know what the deal is, and and uh, and you think that you got it got it under control, you know, reality comes up and slaps you in the face really quick, and there's emotions to deal with, and screw that, you know, right. high. So that's that's how I always dealt with it, and it was a uh, downhill from there. So. so- Fast forward a little bit, you are uh, coming up in your teen years, and at some point, you become a legal adult, yes? Yes. And, 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 and does, does making that milestone change anything for you uh, in terms of being able to kind of be out in the world? What happens after this treatment center experience? Well, the, the treatment center experience was really a, a bunch of, it, that turned into a bunch of different programs up to the age of, of uh, 15. And for a, so for a couple of years there, you know, I went through that. And then I got into a, a massive amount of trouble when I was 15 and the court certified me as an adult and sent me to adult prison at the age of 16. Wow. So when I got out of prison, I, I was uh, just shy of 18 years old and I got out of prison. So I turned 18. Uh, in the free world, so to speak, and um, but that's and, after doing two years of hard time, starting at the age of sixteen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So I, you know, for me, turning eighteen was, you know, I, I, it, it meant that, you know, I was in Colorado at the time, and that meant that I could, uh, I could, I could drink near beer. <laughs> you know, they, if they have a different as it was then, anyway. And so, uh, and I was getting high and, you know, I was, I, I, you know, I was living with some family out there and, uh, because things weren't working out for me in Florida and, um, um, that was my take on it. And, um, so I just, it took a few months, uh, and I was right back to, you know, uh, using hard, you know, and I, you know, I had progressed to so hard drugs and, um, and, and, and staying up for days at a time, uh, on dope and, and things got really bad. And so. I decided I had a good solution, so I, I took off for California and <laughs> and uh, hitchhiked out there, and then I so started the next phase of my uh, whole addiction. What happens in California? Why California? 
Well, I, I played guitar and, and, you know, I took my guitar out there and I thought that the solution would be to go out there and, uh, you know, find a band and play with a band and, and to, uh, to make it big yeah, time. So you were going to be a rock star, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, and, uh, 100%. which I did, I, I, I made it, I became a rock star, but not, not the kind of, not that kind of rock star, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, I just, I wound up doing a lot of, a lot of cocaine and a lot of, um, all sorts of drugs that, um, you know, I wound up homeless and I wound up dumpster diving and I wound up, uh, you know, just, it was horrible, man, you know, and I became deranged for a while there mentally. My, my, um, I became very paranoid and I thought that the feds were after me, you know, uh, going on these long binges. And, and so I began, I began doing robberies, you know, all related to my, you know, my addiction to get more, that one more. And, uh, you know, so it got bad. So these robberies were really a means you needed money to be able to fuel your addiction, right? And, and, and your habit, right? Yeah. I, I mean, yes and no. At, at first it was, you know, I, various crimes I started but committing. Walk um, me through that though. Like sure. yeah, at some point that's a big jump, right? Like, okay. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. it's a means to an end and I get it, man. Like we all got to survive and, you know, we got to reckon with the reality that, uh, man, I just dumpster dived or man, I just did this and man, I just did that. Right. But that's a big leap between that and bank robbing. So walk me through the, that, that decision, like, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to rob a bank. Sure. Um, well, well, first I, you know, I, I got in a relationship when I was out there and I was living with my girlfriend and we both were using and uh, you know, so I, I did some, some petty crimes and some a little bit harder crimes to, to, to get money for more. And uh, but somewhere along the line, my, my, it's like a, a, a switch flipped in my brain and I paranoia set in, you know um, and I had been diagnosed earlier as a schizoid and I still to this day don't believe that that was an accurate diagnosis. I believe that I was just traumatized and I presented symptoms of, you know, of, um, you know, I had a lot of walls up, you know, and I wouldn't let anyone get to know me. And I was very, uh, very silent and I wasn't very communicative with other people. And so, um, uh, but anyway, I, after, after a while doing, doing, you know, staying up a lot, I started getting delusional and I thought that, you know, on some level, I'm sure that in my psyche, I wanted to rob a bank and get some dope money. I'm sure. But on another level, I thought I was hearing voices and I thought that the FBI um, had some covert operation and that I was going to go into this bank and somehow be part of it. And looking back and trying to analyze how I felt and what I thought at that, at that moment, so, which was so long ago, is kind of difficult. But um, I, I, I was deluded, you know, and maybe that was my excuse, you know, but, um, you know, I, th I thought that I was, <laughs> I thought I was part of some conspiracy, you know, and, and, and which just shows, you know, how, where addiction can take you, you know, and it depends on the person and it depends on the experience, which mine had been a horrible experience up to that point, um, both with just being in, in incarcerated from a young age and, and being exposed to a lot of, uh, a lot of traumatic stuff, a lot of violence, a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, you know, different types of criminal behavior. And so, um, so anyway, I, I, I remember robbing it, 
you know, I remember going in there and getting the money and later on, you know, I, I did another one and, and anyway, I got caught in the, in the, in the feds, when they got me, they didn't, you know, they didn't really recognize the, the, the delusional part of it. So, I mean, it's not like I got, I got away with that. I, 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 I did, I did four years federal time for that. And, uh, um, was it a high for you? Did you enjoy the experience of bank robbing in and of itself in terms of either the planning or the actual act or getting away with it or, you know, uh, scoring the, the money? Was any of that sort of something that you derived any sort of satisfaction from? Not really. You know, um, I mean, I, 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 I like a thrill, you know, like probably a lot of people do and especially addicts, but you know, when I, when I did it, I was, I was desperate, you know, and it wasn't pretty, you know, it was, uh, it was ugly, you know, um, I wasn't like, yeah, I got away and I did this Mm -hmm. thing, you know, it was more like Mm -hmm. shaking and sweating and Mm -hmm. afraid and Mm -hmm. freaking out and, you know, oh my God, you know. It was which, not a pleasurable experience no, for you. It was no, very it was anxiety. Because that's what it would be for me. Yeah. I would, it would not be an enjoyable experience to try to rob a bank. I would be yeah. a, a, a freaking mess, right? Yeah. So I could relate to that uh, intimately. I would be yeah. a train, I would be a wreck yeah. trying to rob a bank. And so you were really a desperate man at that point, right? I, I was, and, and you know, there's the reflective part of my mind, which is saying, well, is that real? These things that you're thinking about, this idea about the feds or these voices that you're hearing in, in your head, you know, that can't be true. Oh, well, yes, it can. No, it isn't. Yes, it mm. can. And there's this, this self-doubt as to what reality even is. Mm. You know, absolutely horrible. And, um, you know, so, so no, it was not pleasant. And, um, um, and really a- f- coming up with trauma and, as many folks as I've had the honor to interview on this podcast, adverse childhood experiences are rampant among us addicts and alcoholics and recovering addicts Mm -hmm. and alcoholics. And that post-traumatic stress that results from these traumatic experiences manifest themselves in a lot of different ways. And, absolutely feel addiction, absolutely feel alcoholism, absolutely feel anxiety and depression and all sorts of other um, phenomenon that happens with us uh, because of that trauma that, that until we address it really does, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, messes with us. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, <laughs> it, it's, that's the truth. You know, and I believe that um, that trauma and that uh, which amounts to a lack of connection, you know, mm-hmm. on a deep, deep level. And in my case, reinforced by many different things over many over decades and decades. Um, you know, you know, that's like um, I was I was in my own prison inside, you know, and uh, until I, until I came to recovery and it reached down deep within me, you know, um, Nah. Really being cut off from home, being cut off from yeah. you know mom and dad, and 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 that being walled off there, and you know being walled off clearly from other people, and really being able to establish meaningful connections, um, intimate or otherwise, mm-hmm. with other people. Uh, that's absolutely what trauma does, right? Yes. It it yeah. it it impairs. 
and often severs our ability to be able to connect. Yes. And then and then drugs and alcohol end up being that substitute, right? Absolutely. That substitute mm-hmm. connection. And we feel connected when we're under the influence of drugs or alcohol. But in reality, it's further isolating. It's further disconnecting. It's further deadening and numbing our ability to truly connect. Yes. So our desperate efforts to connect using drugs and alcohol are actually doing exactly the opposite. Yes. That's, that's, you know, when you say that you remind me of, you know, there's some study, I don't remember which one offhand, but, but babies when they're born, uh, if they don't have connection, they'll die pretty much, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, they need human connection. They need to be touched. They need to know that, that there's, that, that there's love, you know, and they need to feel that. And I believe that for those of us who make it out of uh, infancy <laughs> and we have that connection, that when that connection is broken, you know, there's a, a ton of other ways we begin to die as well, you know, that we become dead and, you know, and, and, uh, and I was, I was like the walking dead, you know, in many ways. Like a shell, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you get arrested by the FBI, right? Um, which, you know, for most of us only happens in movies. That happened in real life for you. And was this a, a dramatic event? What, uh, how did the arrest occur and what happened? Well, it, I, I, was, I was taken into custody by, by the feds for sure. Uh, but the way it played out actually is my, uh, my, uh, my girlfriend called, called me and uh, the phone you know, was ringing. There was not a cell phone back then. It was just a you know, regular phone. And, um, and she said, you, you, you're on the news, you know, they're looking for you and da, 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 da. And I said, really? And I jumped up and there was a paper on the kitchen table and she was gone already. And there I was in the cover of the Los Angeles times and the Valley edition and, um, with some other bank robbers. And there was, it was like a feature that day. And, um, so, and people were calling up and saying that I know that guy. And, 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 um, anyway, her friend's dad was a, was a, uh, a police officer and he offered to take me in and make sure that I got in safe. And so, uh, so I said, yes, you know, and, uh, she swore she wouldn't leave me. <laughs> and I thought that I could go in and do a few years cause it was my first time as an adult. And, uh, and so I went in and, and, uh, and, um, and, uh, you know, uh, thought everything would be fine uh, after a couple of years, few years. So yeah, that was my first real hard time that I, I look at as being hard time, you know, as an adult. So. That was four years. Yeah. I got four years for that. And then coming out of that experience, what happens? Well, um, when I, when I get out, I did, I did my time in Arizona. And when I, I got out, I, I came back home to Tampa Bay and, um, uh, that's a town called Safety Harbor, and that's where I'm from. It's where I grew up most of my life. I consider that my hometown. And um, uh, I came home, and um, uh, my my parents. I finally I finally came home, <laughs> and uh, my 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 parents had a room for me, and we were in a different house by then. And um, my brother plays drums, and and I play guitar, and we're gonna get a band together, you know. But I'm on house arrest and all this stuff, and you know, I, I, I thought that I could just, just not do that one drug and everything would be fine, you know? And, uh, 
but you know, um, the trauma didn't go away. The disconnection from people didn't just go away. It just got reinforced for the previous four years. And you know, I found myself not knowing how to deal at all emotionally with things. And, and I wound up, um, I wound up, uh, um, I wound up doing one and, you know, I thought I had it under control, but two weeks later I was shooting dope and, um, within a matter of months, I repeated the same behavior all over again, but this time I hit six banks. And how so old are you? I, I'm, I'm 50, I'm 53. And, and how old were you when you were back in uh, Florida after that? So during this time, how old were you? 23. 23. I was 23. And so, uh, because you said, and this is something that many of us, including me, if I can stay away from that drug, if I can stay away from that drink, if I can stay away from you name it, then yeah. it'll be fine. Yeah. Right? Right? yeah. Yeah. I don't have to change anything. All I have to do is just not do that thing and everything will be just fine. Yeah. The problem is that drug, <laughs> you know, doesn't have anything to do with me. It's that drug. Exactly. You know, That's exa yeah. exactly it. The problem yeah. is that substance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's not the problem at all. It is never. The that's problem. my solution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So no. just one. I'm just going to do one. No. Right. And, and one turns into what it always turns into. And you rob six banks in a row. That's correct. Yes. And I, I, I did it under the same, like I, with that same kind of mindset, you know, I was, I was deluded and I don't know, you know, when I use drugs and especially a particular couple drugs, you know, I, I go insane, you know, I, I, I become very detached from reality. I was a danger to myself. I was a danger to others around me. And, uh, yeah, uh, and there, that is an actual. Dope. That's an actual thing. Drug-induced psychosis is an yeah. actual thing. It right? is, yeah. and so this is something that happens to you when you um, when you do a certain cocktail of substances. You you experience this, and bank robbing is part and parcel to that. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it it has been. That's been my history. You yeah. know, so six yeah. banks, and what happens? Well, I, I, I get caught, you know, and I get picked up and, and uh, uh, the short version is, is that I, I get sentenced as a, a career criminal uh, to a total of 22 years in prison and uh, in the state of Florida. And uh, the feds did not pick up the bank robbery. The state prosecuted me. And so, uh, so I was sentenced to 22 years in prison in Florida. And, and on that 22, I, I did 15 straight and then I got out. And uh, it went by very slowly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. Wow. Yeah. 15 continuous years in prison. What is that experience like? And what, what did that do to you? Yeah, we, I mean, we could talk about that for days, you know. Right. Um, right. I mean, there's just so much to, to discuss with that and. You know, um, I can say this. I mean, I could spend a lot of time talking about things that I saw while I was there or, you know, or fights that I got into or things like that. But I, I you know, for, for, for me, the themes that really come out when I reflect on it, especially now from a, 
perspective of recovery is, you know, I know now and I can see so clearly how it reinforced all that stuff that was already going on with me. You know, when I was, I, I, I finally accepted, which it's, it's so crazy how denial can work because it wasn't until they sent me off to prison that I had a moment of clarity. And I said, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. You know, most 23 year olds are not a career criminal and going to prison for what could be the rest of my life. You don't know how that's going to turn out, you know, when you go in that long. And I mean, when you're staring at 20 years, right? Yeah. That's just, I, I mean, that was a crushing weight, you know, when the judge sentenced me and I just, I couldn't really wrap my brain around that. And, um, you know, I, I just knew that I knew I really screwed up, you know, and there was no fixing that, you know, um, you know, I, I, I pled guilty, you know, in the end, because I mean, they could have given me 120, you know, mm-hmm. so I pled out to, to a deal, you know, and um, I, I, um, you know, I just kind of dug in and started, started doing my time. And I started reading a lot. And, and I thought that the answer for me would be in, in religion for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I go very deep into that. And I went through a few changes, you know, and what I believed and why I believed it and, and all that kind of thing. And uh, in the end, I, I, you know, a good halfway through it, I, I, I kind of just, you know, kind of developed a, a way of looking at things like I still currently have. It's just that, you know, at that point, it was all intellectual. You know, I hadn't dealt with anything. I had just kind of signed on to some, some belief systems. You know, I hadn't internalized it. I hadn't really, you know, there was no journey to the heart. You know, it was in my head, but it was not in my heart. And so, you know, I, I, um, my plan when I approached my, my, my release date was to, you know, do the same thing I had the previous time. I was going to uh, do music and I was going to make it big. And I, I had been fortunate enough to have a pen pal and I wrote some, some sheet music and sent it out. And, and uh, she recorded a CD and I actually got royalties from a, a song. And it wasn't a huge amount, but it was, you know, hey, you know, I, I, I got something here and I can work with it. And I love music. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write songs and, you know get into that, you know, and so, uh, um, but it didn't turn out that way, you know, because I, I still, nothing had changed, you know, I'd learned a lot, read a lot of books, man. And I had, I had done a lot of meditation. I had, you know, um, you know, I had, I, 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 I earned the equivalent of, you know, a degree while I was in just probably by the books I read and some of the courses that I took the correspondence and, and, uh, but that didn't, that didn't, that didn't change anything, you know, it just made me more educated. And, um, so, I, I, uh, I fell on my face again after I got out pretty bad. And I repeated the entire cycle that I just described for a third time, you know, with the bank. And wow. Using. Yeah. Wow. After doing yeah. 15 years. Yeah. You and know, having and, a little bit of an awareness there coming in, like there might, there's something wrong with me. Like this is right. And going through quite a bit of in, internal, sort of figuring, trying to figure out who you are and what you believe and, you know, those kinds of things. I've obviously a lot of time inside to do that. Right. So, you know, and, (laughs) and, and coming out of that, right. Um, um, uh, uh, repeating that same behavior, what happens? Yeah. So I, I, what happened for me is that, you know, I, I, um, you know, just real, real quick, when, when I got out, um, things had changed a little bit, 
you know, for my parents. When I, when I came up, we didn't, we didn't have a lot, you know. But in that 15 years, my mom and dad did pretty good, you know, and they wound up having a small rental house in Safety Harbor. And they said, Don, you can live there. And um, I get kind of, I get kind of choked up when I, I remember that because they, 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 <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> they, they knew my past. They loved me so much and they wanted to give me the best possible chance to succeed, you know, mm-hmm. but they didn't know, just like I didn't know the, 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 the level that this thing had a grip on me within, you know, the, the, um, the walls that I had put up, you know, I would act like everything is okay. And this time I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to push through this and I'm not going to use, and I'm going to get a good job and I'm going to get married and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a successful business. And finally I'm, I'm uh, having an opportunity. And so they set me up, you know, they set me up with cheap rent in a house. Like, you know, I got out and the internet was around and that wasn't around when I went in in 1991 and I got out in 2006 and, you know, my dad got me a, a used car and uh, I had a job within a couple weeks and I found, and, um, you know, I, my dad even got me a, 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 a membership to a, a safety hour spa, which is, you know, not just blocks from my house. And, you know, I had a maid, man, you know, I was, I got a good start. I was working out. I, I was doing everything just right, but slowly the isolation crept up on me again. And I found myself just, uh, just handicapped socially. You know, I didn't know, I, I, I didn't, I, I couldn't tell anybody at work about my past, you know, because that is some weird stuff, man. You know, yeah. uh, what are they going to think if they knew I was a bank robber and I just got out after 15 years, you know, yeah. what are they going to think of me? And so I, I, I wound up isolating at home and just, you know, my routine became, became just going to work, coming home, getting high and sometimes playing my guitar, you know, and, um, and I would show up at family functions and act like everything was okay, but inside I was I was I was hurting, mm. and I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't, I didn't, I, I just I didn't understand, and I started really experiencing some extreme self doubt and self loathing and self hatred because I saw it starting to slip again. You know, I was smoking weed and 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 I was saying, well, I'll never do that one drug again, but but eventually I did. You know, and the pain was got so great that I I. You know, it wasn't great enough to recover because I didn't know about that really, but it was great enough to, um, you know, I had to, I had to do something about it, you know? You know, Don, this is the, this is where I think we need to highlight a couple of things. Sure. That make, that make, that really are important from a, a, from a, active addiction and alcoholism perspective and from a recovery perspective, the way you describe that intense loneliness, it makes me think of what I used to think about myself, which is if you knew the real me, yeah, if you really knew who I was, the things I had done, the things that I think, you wouldn't like me. You wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. Exactly. Yeah. I am deeply broken. I'm hopeless. I always, always end up relapsing and using and going down that vicious cycle, no matter how hard I try. Because eventually the pain becomes too great. The isolation becomes too intense. 
and it's either I end this thing like I because it becomes so unbearable to be me becomes so excruciating to be me I have to medicate I have to I have to I I have to yeah and the problem with that is that once I start that once I give myself permission to do that I have no ability to predict how long I'm going to do it how often I'm going to do it what happens in the meantime I have no ability to be able to predict that none whatsoever and eventually that will become unmanageable too when i start to use again to right that's right and it's that vicious damn cycle and i have every intent every single time i stop to stop for good and get it together and i'll work out and i'll and i'll start eating better and i'll you know um hold doors open for people and donate money (laughs) you know yeah yeah right Mm-hmm. And eventually the pain becomes too great. Thoughts get into my head that say they don't really know who you are. And if they did, they wouldn't like you. And that goes over and over and over again. Can you relate to that? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that's me all day long at, the, at, that, at that point in my life and for decades <laughs> of my life. And um, um I experienced all of that. And so I, 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 I medicated and it was a scary thing going into it because I knew, you know, at that point I, I wasn't really, you know, I, I, I knew that there was no telling how this is going to wind up, but the short term relief that I knew I would feel for a moment was worth it to me, you know? And so I, um, so I did. And, you know, I, I, um, I wound up, uh, getting arrested for possession and, uh, took a trial and I beat it you know, uh, actually, um, um, and, and, uh, cause it's a little hazy whether I actually had anything in a, there's some questionable circumstances around that. The officer ran my, he knew who I was in my history and I'm not sure really what happened in that, in that moment. But, but within another week, I, I robbed a bank after I beat that charge. Uh, and so I, I, um, I want to go into jail and, um, I wound up being ordered into a mental health program. And uh, they started taking us to meetings. Hmm. And uh, that was the beginning of my exposure to recovery. And uh, my life didn't change right away. I fought it hard for a couple of years. It was, you know, um, but um, that's when when things began to change for me. And uh, so. And why is that? Why do you think that is? You start going to meetings, recovery meetings, and what's inside of those meetings that starts changing things for you? I saw other people uh, and heard them, really heard them. And I knew that I identified on the level of feelings with them. You know, I knew that um, regardless of my history, prison or no prison, or how many decades I had used compared to someone else, uh, the similarity was that, um, they experienced the same thing that I had on some level and, and, and they were, they had experienced freedom, mm. you know, true freedom. And, and I wanted that. And I was scared to ask for help and I didn't for a long time, but I be started, I began to, to understand that there, there's possibly a way out for me, you know, and I didn't have to keep doing this. And, and uh, I didn't get it totally. Uh, I knew that there was some action required of me that I would have to reach out and ask for help. Uh, that I would have to do some work and, and I tried, you know, 
but it took a little time for me to, to be able to actually ask for help in, in my dark hours, you know, when they came upon me. And, uh, so I had some, a few go arounds left still. And, um, um, but I started heading, I, that, that started, that process had begun, you know, and, uh, I'm so grateful, uh, for, for that today. You know, it's amazing that, your experience really mirrors mine in a number of different ways. But most importantly, when I went to went at 36 years old, when I was broken and I'd finally surrendered to my innermost self that I am an addict and an alcoholic and I can't do this. I don't know how to get better by myself. I've tried and everything I've tried has failed miserably and is, and has gotten me to where I'm at. And all I want to do is get better. And I don't care how that is. I just want to get better. And I walked down the stairs to my first recovery meeting. What you said, you truly heard people Mm -hmm. for the first time. I experienced that as well. I truly heard people for the first time. I had been to meetings before. I had been to treatment before. Mm. But I wasn't hearing anything. Those people... Those people did, I didn't want what they had at that time, but they started talking and I started really listening and they, they had felt like I had felt, they had done what I had done. They had thought like I thought and they got better. Yeah. And that's when the light bulb went off for me. That, that if they thought like I thought, if they did what I did, they felt like I felt and they got better. Well, maybe if I do what they did, maybe, just maybe, just maybe. And in the beginning, it really was like maybe, maybe I can get better too. And can you relate to that? I absolutely, I can. I, 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 I started to see a, a, a glimmer of hope. You know, I thought that there, there might be hope for me, you know, and it, it was at that time, basically, that um, I knew there was hope and I knew that there was a way out. But at the same time, uh, I hadn't really stopped using, you know, I would I would quit for a while because of my circumstances. You know, I was in a program, but um, I still relapsed uh, every once in a while. And when I did, I it was insane, you know. I would wake up in, in, in mental hospitals or a, or a crisis unit or just I had gone berserk, you know. And um, so I knew that um, the, 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 the clock was ticking, you know, that I had to somehow get this. And, and because I, I, I thought I was going to I was going to die. I just knew that, you know, I had I put myself in so many dangerous positions and um, I didn't know if I was going to make it long enough. And I sure hoped I, I, I would. So I kept coming back. You know, they told me, keep coming back, you know, try to call somebody, but whatever happens, if you fall down, keep coming back. And so, and so I did. And, uh, and, and in the end it, it paid off, you know, um, I, uh, attended a recovery workshop and, uh, I had just come off a, a, a bad, bad binge and, and, and almost lost my life. Um, thinking people were chasing me with guns in the middle of the street, during heavy traffic and uh, there was nobody there. And um, I, anyway, to make a long story short, I wound up in a, in a crisis unit and they let me out. And my, uh, my, uh, my, my sponsor invited me to the, to the workshop. And so, um, so I went and they were talking about 
you know, it was, it was a step workshop and, and, and we were talking about the first step, you know, and somehow they got on the topic of self-centered fear. And I, I, I knew, you know, I, I, I had thought about that before and I thought that being self-centered meant that I was selfish and that was the limit. That was, that was, that's all that it meant to me, you know, at that time. But I, I caught a glimpse of something and I saw how, how I was so focused on myself from a, a, a mental kind of posture of fear that, you know, I was always evaluating my, my relationships with other people and situations from, from a fear standpoint. And, and these walls were up and I, and it, and it, and it dictated my every move and it, and it made me be a chameleon and, it, and it, it, it caused me to not present the real me, you know. And uh, when I saw that, I, I wondered why I'm afraid at the very root. And I, I could never face the fact that I was afraid because I thought that I was a badass, you know. I thought that there was not a, a, a bit of fear in me on some levels, you know. And I mean, who does the things that I've done and, and is afraid, you know. And uh, I had all these things that I imagined about myself because I would tell myself whatever it was to help me feel better about myself in the moment. But I saw that, I guess, I am afraid. And why am I afraid? And um, so I, I, I saw that I, I, I was afraid that I was not good enough, that I was, I was, or I was a horrible person, you know, that I, I, um, you know, that I was, I was not as good as everybody else. And, and then I, I saw that that was, that was complete BS that I am, you know, and for the first time in my life, I realized that I was, it just came over me. It was an awakening. You know, I realized that I'm not a bad person, despite all the stuff that I did and all the you know, my experience, my history that didn't make me a bad guy, that I was just as good as every person in this room and every person I've ever met in my life. And I'm entitled to have a good life like anyone else. And I am connected whether I see it or feel it or not, you know. And um, man, it was, it was like, it was revolutionary for me. And so, um, you know, I wound up getting out of that place, uh, that, that place. And I was, I was in a homeless shelter, you know, um, for a few days actually for a few months, but a few days after this event, this workshop, I went to a homeless shelter and they gave me a bus pass. And um, I knew that I could walk three blocks and trade that bus pass for dope, you know? Mm. And uh, what happened to me whenever a situation like that would happen is my, my knees would buckle, my stomach would turn and I would have to take a shit, you know, all of a sudden that's how bad this thing had a grip on me. And I experienced that again. And in my voice, I heard, I heard, <laughs> I, I, I get emotional, man, thinking about it. Some of the, some of the, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm recovering and I've dealt with a lot of issues, but the emotions, when I think back mm-hmm. on it, I still feel them today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard my sponsor's voice in my head saying, it's just a feeling, it will pass. Mm-hmm. You know? And that I don't ever have to use again and that, that uh, to call me, you know, and for the first time ever, I called somebody when that, when, when, when that urge to use hit me. And man, I didn't use that day. You know, I, I, I stayed at the homeless shelter and I just, I, somebody came and picked me up and we talked and it was all, it was all good, you know? And, uh, that was when things started turning around for me, man. And, uh, my life did a complete 180 and I had to put in some work, but wow, man, you know, I learned that I could get through some feelings, feel some discomfort. And I didn't even have to understand what it was about at that moment. I just had to get the space to see it and to believe that I was, that I was worth fighting for, that I was worth reaching out for help, you know, and, 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 and doing that. And, and so I did. And uh, man, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that for that gift, you know, then it is a gift to, to see that finally. 
What a profound spiritual experience to have to finally understand that there wasn't something intrinsically wrong and broken inside of you that made you irreparable, irredeemable, and unable to get well. You were able to have this spiritual experience to understand you, in fact, were just as worthy of love, connection, and recovery. Yes. As everybody else in that room. And that's only really made possible by this idea, this 12-step idea that says the only requirement is to, to, to come here as a desire. You don't even have to be sober. You just have to want to be. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And just keep coming back. Right? That's right. And, and, and we're going to keep loving you. And we're going to keep sharing our experience, strength, and hope. And give you the space to be able to have your own experience on your own terms, whatever that looks like for you. That's right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And that is no less than a miracle. Yeah. When that That, occurs for us, it's no less than a miracle. Yeah. And I truly believe that, you know, the, for so long, I, to believe that I was never able to bridge the divide of who I was and who I wanted to be, you know? Yeah. I thought that chasm between who I had become and who I wanted to be was too great and it was too late. And I was too broken. And I got to tell you, the, 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 the reason I'm here today in recovery is because other people showed me the way. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't tell me the way. They didn't force me the way. They didn't, right? They mm-hmm. showed me through their own actions. And they lived these spiritual principles and they embodied these spiritual principles. And I wanted them because they were happy and they were free, you know? Yeah. And they were honest, man. They were like, these were real people that had real problems that had real past that had real stuff going on. Right. And still were experiencing this freedom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just wanted that. And they told me I could have it too. And they meant it. You know, like they're like, you can have this too. You know, all you got to do is like you said, some work, right? So tell me about the work. What was the work like? Well, um, the work was, uh, it was, uh, you know, on some levels it didn't seem like work and in other ways it sure did, you know. Um, Doing, for me, the work was step work Mm -hmm. and uh, um, uh, getting in touch with, why I felt the way that I did because, you know, just because I had that moment of awakening and I knew, yes, I, I'm good enough. I still had a lot of feelings that would get triggered by events 
of feeling unworthy or feeling not good enough. You know, it just didn't end all of that. It gave me the space to, to reach out for help and not be controlled by that is what it did for me. And, um, but yeah, I, I, in the beginning, you know, like I, I say, I was at a homeless shelter and I would take the bus to go see my sponsor and do step work and take the bus to meetings and catch rides. And, you know, at that time I was, man, you know, I was happy just if I could make it to a meeting and I was excited to be around friends. And I felt like I finally had friends in my life that I could talk real with and not just try to impress. And, um, you know, um, I did a fourth step with my sponsor and got in touch with all the resentments that I had and, and saw, you know, a little more of what I saw that day about my fears and my insecurities. And, you know, and I, I learned some tools to, to, to deal with that with, you know, and which amounted to a process of, uh, agreeing to, to embrace what I know to be true and not necessarily what I feel. And over time, you know, things, you know, I feel like that a lot less, you know, those, those feelings of low self-worth or uh, I'm not enough and things like that, that are like rocket fuel to addiction, you know, that, because for me, those feelings amount to disconnection. Mm. They mean that I'm not a part of, you know, mm. and that it's a, a, a judgment and an unforgiveness of my own self. And, um, so with that, uh, I learned to show myself some love and, and to do th- good things and, and self-care and, and all of that. And, uh, and man, you know, it's like um, what began from such humble circumstances, you know, on the inside started manifesting its way, itself in, in my outer life in, in ways that just are amazing, you know. And uh, all the things that I really wanted in my heart, you know, have become true in my life. And probably that, what you know the step work right like yeah, yeah that was transformational for me right um and you're talking about doing that four and that five and really doing some of that work that allows us to uh, uh free our uh, identify these patterns and of behavior yes. right <clears throat> that keep yes. us sick and stuck that's right and we get to release those and then and, you know um uh, did you have a, an experience with a higher power um, I, I, I did and I do, um, I absolutely do. And for me, like my, you know, and I don't, I don't mind talking about my higher, but I, I like, for me, it's, it's, I, there's a definition that I read in some literature, uh, uh, not, you know, it's been some years, but I always go back to that and it defines spirituality as a relationship with reality, you know? And for me, that rings true that, um, I, I, um, uh, as I grow and I see things more clearly and I see things how they really are uh, and what my higher power or that higher love or that higher, you know, thing that is how, how, how my higher power views me is the truth. How my higher power cares for me and loves me is the truth. And so my, my, my job is to align with that in my own attitude and the way I treat myself and the way I treat other people. And, and, you know, within that framework, you know, I, I feel like I got a blank check to go for anything to take whatever risk in a, in a healthy way, you know, and to pursue life with, with whatever I got, you know? And, uh, and so, um, yeah. And, and, and it's all based upon a relationship to a higher power because it, it's, it's, it's the connection thing again. You know, uh, it's not about me and how much willpower I can work up to make something happen. You know, it's about how 
reliant I'm allowing myself to become with principles, principles that are timeless, eternal, that, you know, um, that are proven, you know? And um, so for me, that's where the power is, you know, in that connection, you know, to my, 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 my fellow community and, and, and humanity and, and, and my higher power. And, and that's, you know, what a great combination, you know, and uh, that is reality, you know, and, and for me. So, yeah. Often I understand things in retrospect and, you know, sort of backwards, but my higher power speaks through other people, right? And if I'm really listening, I'm hearing that higher power through other people and I have to be connected to, to my higher power and to other people for that really to work for me on a regular and consistent basis. So in, the, in that ends up being a positive feedback loop when I do that, when I'm connected to my higher power and I'm actively connecting to other people, right? I'm hearing that through those people and the, the, the world and my head can get noisy. Mm-hmm. And so this intentional, this intentionality around yes. actively engaging my higher power and engaging with other folks from a spiritual perspective really is vital for me from a recovery standpoint. Is that, is that something that resonates with you? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Fellowship and and uh, uh, connection to other human beings in recovery is is foundational to that because you know um, it's just it's it's like um, I can't recover by myself. Oh, man, no, yeah. I can't do that by myself. It's 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 can, recovery is you know I at first I thought to me recovery meant getting off a of dope, you know. Uh, now I don't think of it in that way. I think of recovery as discovery. You know, I'm mm-hmm. discovering who I am. I'm discovering more and more every day. And I am, I have moved from a desperation to passion, uh, toward recovery and I'm excited about it, you know, and, and, and it never happens by myself, you know, recovery always happens on some level with me connecting with other people, you know? And so I, I mean, I have my time that I, I, my, my alone time and I, I, I get quiet and I get grounded and I need to do that regularly and it's important. Uh, but you know, as my sponsor reminds me all the time, I, 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 uh, I, 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 I need to continue going to recovery meetings, you know, no matter how busy life's get, life mm. gets, um, I need to make, I have a, I have a, I have a, a pie, you know, and I have a slice of that pie and that, that cannot move. The other things in my life can change and expand or contract, but that slice of the pie that I know that I need to devote to fellowship has to remain, has to remain there, you know? And, uh, so that's, that's, that's very important for me, you know? Um, certainly resonates with me. I always tell people I know how to relapse. <laughs> I stop, I, I stop praying. Yeah. I stop meditating. I stop going to recovery meetings and I stop being of service. Yes. Yeah. And if I stop those things, it's only a matter of time, right? Before my brain will tell me that, well, you didn't spontaneously combust, Charlie. Mm. I mean, you've been sober for like, two weeks and you haven't gone to a meeting and you haven't prayed. So maybe it wasn't really about all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just maybe you kept yourself sober, Charlie. Yeah. 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 And if you can keep yourself sober, Charlie, maybe just maybe you can have just one. And that's how it works for me. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's the cutting baffling powerful 
piece of it, right? Which makes it, so I have to stay connected vigilantly mm-hmm. um, because I have this this thing will will hundred percent convince me that it's okay that it was just a phase, you know, like that part of my life got a little crazy and stuff and whatever, but. You know, I'm probably not an addict or an alcoholic anymore, so I could, probably, you know, what I mean. And that's 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 the insanity, right? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. What's what's life like for you today? Um, it's it's very rich, <laughs> you know. Um, it's I, I I look back and I can't believe sometimes that that I really went through that because you know today I, you know, um, I I'm. You know, I, 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 for one, I, I, when I look in the mirror, I, I, I love the person that I see, you know, sometimes more than others, <laughs> you yeah, know, and, I can but, really uh, uh, you know, it's, a, it, it, it changes, but, but, but I do. And I agree that I, I, I'm going to take care of that person that I see. And, um, I, I'm married and, uh, I have two boys, Levi and Finn, they're four and six. Those and, are great uh, ages. Oh man. Dude, those are great ages. <laughs> Yeah, it is a great age. And I, man, I, I just, you know, I, 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 they're the light of my life, you know, and uh, I, I have this, they look just like me and my brother, pictures of us, you know, and uh, I, 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 I've, I've, I've come home. Finally. Yeah. Finally. I do feel like I've, I've come home full circle, you know, um, today I, I, uh, there's another kind of element to that too. That's kind of, kind of an irony. Um, I, I went back to school and I never graduated high school, you know? Right. Right. And, uh, because so, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I was very unskilled, you know, on many levels and, and, uh, but I, I put in some work and I went back to school and I, 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 uh, I wound up landing a, an entry level software development job. And, uh, I got with this company. I wound up becoming um, the director of software development. The, co- the company blew up and went international. And I wound up becoming the, the director uh, with a department of like 30 guys. And, uh, and uh, you know, and, and we, we, <laughs> we made software that integrates with banks, you know, on top. <laughs> so it was pretty crazy. And uh, my, my employers believed in me and they, they, uh, they, they treated me very well. And, uh, you know, I kept it on the DL for a long time, you know, with, with work and everything that, you know, my history, I didn't just, I didn't advertise it, you know, and, um, uh, I, um, the guys liked me, you know, they respected me and, and, uh, I made a lot of friends there and I felt like I, I had real worth because I have something of value to give, not just in the, re- in the recovery sense, but, it, and it was still recovery for me. I applied those principles there and I found out I could develop relationships with all kinds of people, all mm. kinds of people. And so, um, but anyway, so I, you know, I became a homeowner and, uh, you know, as my family grew and, uh, you know, I got to a point though, where I, 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 I became afraid of getting, you know, because I, I didn't want my, my coworkers to find out about me mm. and I didn't want my, uh, my wife's yoga friends and, and her, uh, she teaches yoga. And, um, uh, I didn't want my, uh, the other mom friends to find out about me. And, you know, now I have a house and a couple cars and I didn't want the people down the block to know about me. And, mm. and I got, I, I became afraid, you know, mm. and, uh, I, 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 I got an invitation to speak at a local high school and share some experience with the high school students and, uh, through work, a program that my work had. And, uh, 
I realized after that that I had to start spreading this message, you know, and um, uh, that, you know, that if you are just honest with yourself, you know, and you ask for help and that uh, you put in the work that, that life can be amazing and you can come back from wherever you are, wherever, whatever your situation is, you know, and that there's, you know, you know, and positivity and things like that as well. And so anyway, I came out and I, I, I um, didn't hide that any longer, you know, and I found a lot of acceptance, you know, and uh, so I, I wound up writing a book and, you know, um, you know, helping other people and doing speaking gigs and, and, uh, and was really glad to be able to give back in yet another way. And uh, so, yeah, um, life is amazing, you know, uh, for me now. And, and uh, um, still have issues to deal with, of course, you know. Um, you know, there's relationships are still, uh, they still have to be intentional. You mm-hmm. know, nothing is just easy, mm-hmm. you know. But the payoff is so great, you know. Um, and, um, yeah, man, it's uh, – it's, 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 it still is a roller coaster ride in different ways. And I love it. You know, um, life is good. That piece you talk about, you know, you experience some financial success and professional success. Mm-hmm. And then that fear creeps in because there's a compartmentalization of, you know, that was that, that was my past. But if people figure that out or learn that, then, you know, again, maybe they wouldn't like me. Maybe I'm not, we got to have this job. Maybe, you know, it impacts, you know, my wife and, you know, what she does in her life. And now I'm feeling like, you know, kind of a, uh, a pariah or, you know, this Jekyll and Hyde kind of experience. And mm-hmm. I love this next chapter that you're in, in terms of being able to fully accept and embrace and be out loud with who yeah. you are and you, who you were. Um, and that's for me that recovering out loud, I, it, I can't do it any other way yep. because yeah. I need to, and that's really was a game changer for me when I made the concerted choice to say, I'm not going to compartmentalize my recovery. I'm not right. going to do it. Yes. My recovery is, is, is really important to who I am. And, and, and this is really important to what my journey is here. And my story matters. And the fact that I'm in recovery matters. And, uh, and, and I'm proud of it. And I want people to know. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to force it on people. And that's not what this is about. But, but I really truly believe that living my recovery and in, in, in these spiritual principles in my, in my work, in my family and in my personal life uh, affords me the opportunity to be of service to people and to connect with people and help people. The, the, the people that my higher power decides I'm supposed to help and reach with my story and with the fact that I'm in recovery. Um, I don't, I don't scream my recovery program of choice out loud all the time, uh, mm-hmm. but I do, but I, I, I am, I embrace my recovery. And because of that, people come to me and because of this podcast, obviously people come to me and I have the ability to be able to 
share my experience, strength, and hope with them. And that's what this thing's about, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a game changer since I, you know. I, so is that what you're doing full time? You're no longer a software developer. You're, you, you, what are you doing? Uh, what keeps the lights on, man? I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still, I'm still a software developer, yeah, yeah. you know. And uh, I, I, I am kind of transitioning. And, um, you know, um, it was funny, but um, <laughs> when I, when I, when I, when I did make it known, I, I posted posted on social media and said I was coming out of the closet, you know. And I thought, figured that'd be a <laughs> good attention grabber, and so. Um, you know, I, I did that and I told my story uh, and, um, um, and that opened a lot of doors for me actually, okay. you know, um, you know, so I started speaking, but yeah, I'm still doing that. And, um, you know, I've got the book coming out and, uh, and the book just, is called just so everybody knows, and this will all be in the show notes. So we've got a, a YouTube link to your story, which, okay. uh, uh, you'll want to definitely check out. So that'll be on there. The prison within, is the book title, and uh, we'll have a link to that. Uh, you've got a free course, actually, that you've made uh, for high school students, right? Yep. I, and I so have. we'll have that information in there as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So check the show notes right now. All of that's in there, and you'll be able to get a hold of Don uh, through uh, the information that I have in the show notes. Don, this was tremendous for a hundred different reasons and the bank robbing is on the bottom of that list as far as i'm concerned in terms of why i love your story yeah yeah. you know it's it's at its heart a, a story of hope and a story of redemption and a story that resonates with anybody who has or is battling addiction or alcoholism this story's for you Mm. and so definitely check out the book check out uh uh, the stuff that's all in the show notes don before we close a couple of items that i always like to ask sure what's the greatest single piece of advice recovery advice that you received um, that made a big difference in your own recovery? I would have to say that um, when I was struggling, uh, someone told me, uh, and it's a cliche to keep coming back, you know, but that if I do that, the miracle will happen, you know, and I believe that. And I, I, I knew that, Somewhere in within me, I knew that it was going to come. I just needed to bring my body, and um, and not necessarily believe, you know, that just because I messed up, that it's all over, and that I'm destined to crash and burn, or any of the things that I used to tell myself, that I needed to keep coming back, and that something will click. You know, I, I will have that awakening, and um, and um, and that faith that I put forward by taking that action, you know, and, and keep in coming back, even though I may have messed up a thousand times, you know, eventually it paid off. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would say to keep coming back, and 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 I and, and I would just also add that um, that you're greatly loved, you know, and that you have meaning and purpose and value, and even if you don't see it now, you do, and uh, that we're all waiting for you to discover that and, and give it back. And uh, 
that would be what I would have to say. That is where the magic is. When we finally understand that we too have a purpose and the world is just waiting for us to fulfill that purpose that for me is firmly rooted in love and service. If you could tell me the thing that you do on a daily basis that really makes the biggest difference for you from a recovery standpoint, like this is the thing like that, that, that really keeps me plugged in centered on the beam from a recovery standpoint. What is it that you do on a daily that makes a huge difference? Um, It would be, it would be that part of my morning that I devote to, taking a few moments to get silent, uh, to get focused, to recommit, to live according to principles and, um, and to, uh, you know, to connect with others. And uh, when I do that, um, you know, I may or may not have a great day, <laughs> but when I don't do that, um, then, then the chances are is that uh, things are going to look a little different to me. You know, the, the red lights take longer you know, and, and all of that. Uh, and uh, so I would say that morning routine where I get grounded, you know, and, and sometimes, sometimes it doesn't have to be a huge, big spiritual experience, you know, uh, sometimes just, just, just spending a couple moments doing it, even if the, the time is limited because my boys woke up or, or whatever the deal is, or you know, I'm late for work. And so I stop in the parking lot before I go in or, Whatever the situation is, if I if I do the right thing and do what I know is good for me, regardless of the quality of that time, the fact that I I I I, I did that time uh, will help me greatly and, and will pay uh, will will help me uh, incredibly <laughs> that day. Yeah. I'm a huge believer in that. I take five to ten minutes at the top end of the morning to meditate and. Some sessions are better than others, and sometimes I'm able to kind of break through and quiet my brain down relatively quick and get into a and get into that connected mode. And I'm feeling like on the beam, man. Like in some, yeah. sometimes it's a mess. Yes, and my my brain is noisy, and 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 but the intentionality of connecting to my higher power, to noticing simple things like how. I can feel my feet on the ground and I can feel my butt on the bed and I can feel my breath yeah. and I can, you know, have some gratitude around just stuff that's that simple. And I'm in that moment and I'm really in that moment. It, 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 it makes it so that the, the world is a little less noisy out there and I have the opportunity to it's easier for me to recenter if things go sideways, right? In my brain or externally, right? That's right. It's great advice. It's a tremendous practice. And I'm a, I'm a big believer that these practices are what help us stay connected and help us stay in recovery. Speaking of in recovery, how long have you been in recovery as of today? Um, Well, uh, that would be December, um, December of 2011, and I had one, I had a relapse uh, after like a year uh, and a few months, and it lasted two hours, and uh, which is a whole story in of itself, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, I, and since then, and that's, uh, so, so March, 
uh, March 21st of 2013, uh, I've been solid in recovery and I've I've not picked up or used a drink or a drug. Over seven years of continuous sobriety. Weekends too. (laughs) Nights, weekends, holidays, the whole deal, continuous sobriety. If uh, you're anything like me, man, that is no accident. That is something to be celebrated. Don, I can't thank you enough for taking time to be with us here on the Way Out podcast. Again, all of Don's information, the book, the free high school course will be in the show notes, so check that out. Thank you, brother, so much. Thank you, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast land. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time, and remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.